0: You're listening to Worthy.
1: Hello, I'm Alexia Boldland and welcome to Worthy. This week we're tackling one of the most serious and concerning issues of our time, child abuse. In Australia, it's estimated there are more than 5 million people who are survivors of child trauma and abuse. It's beyond terrifying, and in recent years, Australia has even launched investigations into thousands of incidents through a Royal Commission in hopes of allowing victims to tell their stories and bring those responsible to justice. And it's even continuing today. But is it enough And what about the victims once their court cases and hearings have all concluded? There's also the ongoing medical and mental health assistance that they'll need for those who are affected for the rest of their lives. And then there's that flow-on effect for their loved ones and families too. This week on Worthy, we speak with Adult Surviving Child Abuse President, Dr Kathy Kieselman and survivor Emma, who are both now working to put a stop to this trauma around the world.
2: ASCA is a national organisation that works to help the 5 million Australian adults who've experienced some form of childhood trauma, including all forms of abuse, neglect, growing up with a parent, with a mental illness, growing up with domestic violence.
1: And so 5 million survivors, that's obviously incredible numbers. What can you tell me about that? How, how, how has this data been realised?
2: Look, I mean, that's one in four Australian adults and uh, we believe that's a conservative estimate. So we're looking at a very broad definition of childhood trauma. Uh, But sadly, there are many ways in which children uh, don't have their needs met in childhood. Uh, And often that's because a parent has their own unresolved trauma. Uh, So often parents... uh, you know, many parents try and do the best they can, but because of their own issues and not having had the right support to work through them, uh, aren't able to uh, attach properly to the child, attune to, to the child's needs, um, and for that reason, the child may not receive uh, you know, what they need for, for optimum development.
1: And what's your organisation trying to do? Is it trying to push for better legislation, protective measures, that kind of thing?
2: No, look, we we look after the needs of adults, so we focus on obviously advocacy in the first instance because we've had a situation where there's been a lot of stigma and taboo around this issue for a long time, Uh, but also in in, um, both providing services to survivors, but also in educating and training uh, practitioners um, so that they're able to deliver services which are appropriate to the needs of this group of people.
1: And how did you come to be involved on a personal level?
2: Look, I'm, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a survivor myself. I'm also a, a, a medical practitioner by training. Um, but I suppose when I started to deal with my own issues of abuse, I realised how deficient that training had been in this regard. And I know that um, you know, a lot of other practitioners haven't had the education and training. And, but as a survivor, I've needed you know a lot of support both from the community, but also from health professionals, so that I could find a path to recovery.
1: And obviously, that was an enormous challenge personally as well. Have you found it um, to be therapeutic? I suppose uh, in helping others through, and even I mean medically, but also um, with your organisation.
2: Look, I think uh, lots of people who are affected by a particular issues then. Develop a passion for working in that area, and I suppose um, you know that's certainly the case for me. Uh, But I do also know that, in a sense, I've been privileged in that I could afford the right help. Uh, But I know a lot of survivors, uh, you know, aren't able to access uh, the help that they need, and uh, you know I think that's a great tragedy because we know now from research that recovery is possible with the right support. And it's just um, devastating to know that you know many people can't get that right support and and, and have a good chance at reclaiming their, their health and wellbeing.
1: And in your opinion, was the Royal Commission a turning point for the stigma that you mentioned earlier in Australia in particular?
2: Look, I think the Royal Commission has been you know very significant. I think uh, the way it's gone about its process has been very thoughtful which showed in the first instance the importance of listening and hearing survivor stories of validating the way people are feeling of the empathy and compassion that we often have seen lacking. It's also shown our community uh, that this is a very pervasive issue and that the impacts of abuse and this sort of trauma continue long after the trauma is finished. I think for a long time our community has been very dismissive of the needs of survivors and felt that adults in particular uh, should be able to just get on with it and get over it. And when you've been repeatedly traumatised or abused as a child, it uh, affects the developing brain and it's not as simple as getting over it. it. This is not about individual weakness, this is about real physiological change and requiring the right... Services and support to reverse some of those changes to the brain, um, lay down new pathways, and, and to find a healthy way forward.
1: What would you like to see happen now to help that occur for all victims or survivors?
2: Yes, look, uh, the Royal Commission is just about to release its report and recommendations around uh, redress and civil litigation and part of uh, those recommendations we expect will be around well we know will be around counselling psychological care needs and what they will do is is lay out the the need for specialist services, the need to fill the gaps in existing services and to, to understand that support for survivors needs to be available you know right through their lifetime it doesn't mean that they'll necessarily access it continually but it needs to be there when people need it um so that they can move forward Uh, and you know that that's going to be absolutely critical
1: And finally, Kathy, uh, what advice would you give to someone who might be listening who may have uh, experienced a trauma of their own? What, what would you say to them in terms of seeking out assistance?
2: Look, I think firstly, in the, in the first instance, it's important to think about who you trust, who you feel you can speak to. And, you know, that isn't necessarily, you know, a, a health professional in the first instance. It may be, it may be a GP. Uh, maybe a religious leader or maybe a you know family member or close friend but it's about finding someone who you feel is going to be there compassionately and empathically to hear and to listen and then, then of course you know as part of that process then to seek uh, seek the right help uh, ASCA does a, run a 1300 service I'd just like to give the yeah, numbers that service so the number's 1300 Six five seven three eight zero, and that service runs nine to five, Monday to Sunday, and it has trauma therapists on the line who are experienced in supporting survivors, and also can provide pathways for ongoing care and support.
1: Emma is a campaigner and works with ASCA. She's made enormous strides in rebuilding her own life and fighting for the protection of others since her abuse when she was just in school. She now has a child of her own and has spoken to me of her fears to send him to school out of terror that something similar could happen again.
0: It was after the Royal Commission where I came more at peace with everything, where I could talk about things um, more openly and stuff, but before the Royal Commission, um, everything was still, you know, like a healing process or trying to resolve questions and answers and stuff when I had. So beforehand, it was still a bit of a rough stage for me last I was...
1: What can you tell me about that experience? Whatever you're comfortable with, of course. Um, Wow. Well,
0: um, it was terrifying, really. I didn't know what was coming from day to day. It was a daily thing that would occur. Um, so it started at six until I was in year seven. Um, oh, wow. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. No, no. It's just...
1: No, that it, I'm sure it's impossible to explain. Uh, do, do you... Yeah, it's the
0: really of going to school each day and knowing that something's going to happen or what is going to happen um, and not being able to trust anyone or who not to trust. Because obviously I was telling the counsellors at the school at a young age um, and the pastors and stuff. Um, So it was just really confusing for me because I didn't know what was really happening as I was telling people. Um, But then the abuse was still occurring after years after years after I was still, you know, telling everyone what was happening, I suppose, so...
1: And what was that experience like to go to someone for help and to have it more or less ignored?
0: I just didn't understand why they weren't taking action or doing something about it. Mm. Um, Because I had a couple of community meetings with the board from the church and the, uh, the school, which would probably be about 10 to 12 men at one time. Um, and year after year, they would say they will do things, put in actions, um, even a dismissal might be included in that. Uh, but nothing really got done, I suppose. I just swept it underneath the carpet.
1: Was it something that um, you could discuss with your parents?
0: Um, I thought... My mum was a single mother. I thought they were communicating with my mum, um, which they didn't. And I didn't know what she didn't know until actually... Um, like, the police came to my door and I had to do a statement like that. Um, but all the time, I just thought my mum was aware of everything that was going on, pretty much. Oh my, I, I, can't I actually not I actually visually saw the um, Mr. Smith sometimes even make a phone call or to my mum. What I thought was a phone call, and he would talk, but my, he would never read my mum. Oh, my goodness. Um, so he would just, like, sort of, like, pretend he would phone someone. And then he'll just reply to me, oh, mum can't come today, mum's very busy, or she doesn't want to see him like that. So, and we never spoke about it at home either. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the answers what Mr Smith or the other board was telling me, I just thought mum oh, wasn't interested or anything like that, but it wasn't the case, she wasn't even aware of anything.
1: It would have been an absolute, beyond traumatic experience to think that you were being supported when really it was just being covered up? Oh, definitely, definitely. And so, definitely. and now your, um, the perpetrator was convicted. What can you tell me about that experience? Was that, did that provide you with some kind of justice or I suppose the damage no. was done? And no, not at
0: all, not at all. I don't think the, um, the judge the at the time did her job to adjust the standards or even coming down to the um, the detectives who briefed her. I don't think she even did me adequate or the case adequate. Mm. Um, some examples of that would be the judge throughout my um, impact statement. She said it wasn't necessary to read. Right. Well, that's, um, that's,
1: that's some uh... of the
0: other charges got dropped because I was at a young age I wasn't developed in some areas, um, so there was really no need.
1: Again, that's another failing of, of the system, isn't it?
0: No, no, I Mm. just thought it was just really, really poorly handled and Mm. she really didn't, she really didn't, it was so, so quick, she didn't want to read any of the statements from any of, any of the girls or the guys, um, who the charges were laid against, she didn't want to read them, not, she wanted to read She's got past the charges, and then she was just more sympathetic towards him, I gather, because he was 63 at the time, mm. um, and his blind side was a little bit more poorer um, when it came to court. I don't see I mean I've always thought that he hasn't been, I know he's always had a little bit of poor vision, mm. um, but I don't think it was as bad as what everyone would um, make out it would be. And I so, yeah, so that was another reason why, only, for me, and I was in jail now then, um, we only got one year up in and one year
1: out. because um, his age, and he's so-called blindside. And one year, did you find that to be insulting, or were you, were you quite happy at least there was some punishment
0: being oh,
2: discussed? No, I was disgusted with I could
0: not believe this one year when you had put some other cases around, and you know, my goodness, what Especially what he did to means, not just to me mm. um, but to
1: you know, all mm. the And now there's other victims involved now too, and he's going to be facing further sentencing. Is that something that you want to follow or do you find that you just want nothing to do with this anymore? You just want to, you know, continue on with your life, or is it something that you continue to watch.
0: I don't know I like to know what's happening and what's not happening and things like that. And I do look mm. him up a that mm. to find out what he's doing. Mm. Um, mainly because after he did go to jail for my sentencing, they did not put him on the pedophile list and he was able to go and work at a school for the blind children. Oh. And, for, I know, and for a pedophile to do that, after he's been convicted of even one year or two, you know, one year in, one year out. I just thought that was, that was disgusting. And then he was also a, um, he was also a Sunday school teacher at the Richmond Church for a couple of years after. Right, well
1: that seems incredibly dangerous and...
0: Yeah, I just feel that they didn't, okay, they put him into jail, but it didn't didn't stop him from socialising with the young children or anything. I didn't put anything in the process. I didn't put them on the uh, the sexual offenders list or anything like that. It was just like, did you want me to... Do you want to work with children? Go ahead.
1: Emma, did you ever receive an apology?
0: I never received apologies, um... From Mr Sandwich or the school?
1: Uh, from, the, from the actual abuser himself?
0: No, no. I did request. Um, and no, I did not. Um, also in like, the civil action or whatever they call it. Mm. Um, a part of my agreement of settlement. It was all about the money. I didn't want the money. I wanted things to be done, to be solved, and things. Um, and I requested an apology off and some other people that was involved. Um, I didn't get that either. Mm. And they also stopped me at the civil action at the end, so the mediation included that I was not allowed to seek medical attention for my uh, mental illnesses or so forth, mm. so I said I was able to go and see a psychologist, but I was not allowed to talk about the incident for what occurred or other, so they stopped me also from doing
1: that. That's abhorrent. Yes, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's all got to do with, and even after the royal commission, I still think it's all about the Christianity name. They have to protect themselves. They have to protect the name, and they'll do anything, any lengths to do that.
1: And what? Have, what are the long term effects that you've experienced? You've touched on mental illness. Now, have you found that? You know you've been able to seek appropriate assistance to to move on with your life and to, and to really it seems like you're being a voice for others who can't speak for themselves at the moment
0: Well that's what I want to do at the moment I'm, and then, uh, I suppose my mental stuff is more under control with um, I'm on a lot of medication, a high dose medication, so they're antipsychotics mm-hmm. um, so I need to take them every day and like. So Pretty much lose it. Mm. Um, but what was the question again, sorry <laughs> Oh no, have you, have you
1: found that you've had long-term difficulties because of your traumatic experience as a young girl? Oh, it
0: affects me every day. I mean, first, even now, I'm, I'm just enrolled into a call. So I'm trying to do youth work. Um, so I've got things in place. What I want to do, from my, you know, put my youth digital use. Um, but my reading, spelling, and things so poor. As so difficult from day to day doing songs and now trying to study again, it's just it's impossible.
2: Mm.
0: It's just start and read that like, poor, you just yeah, I can't, you know, do things or write or spell properly. So then when you can't spell a word all your suspects come back and all that type of stuff, so
1: it's not just, uh, it's not just the initial, you know, trauma of what you went through. It's a long, long-lasting effect.
0: Oh, it is a long-lasting effect. It is a lasting effect.
1: And what can you tell me about your involvement in the Royal Commission? You were instrumental in private and public sessions.
0: Yes, yes. Also, I had a couple of meetings, um, with Mr. Smith and a couple of other people as the Royal Commission was going on in the days, um. with a lot of, I suppose, talking with David, who is one of the investigators doing all the work and stuff like that, gathering all the information and stuff. Um, I found that a little bit hard and stressful and stuff. Um, the Royal Commission itself being there for a couple of days, um, it was oh, it was very stressful and hard, but I had to do it. Mm. There was a still sitting that that just drove me to do it. Um, I was scared, I was nervous but, you know, i was I'm still glad what I did it today
1: so yeah And did it feel like a relief being part of this to also be speaking up for others and being part of a commission which could will hopefully adopt some strong regulation and reform?
0: Oh, a massive amount Like uh, and that's why I wanted to do the Royal Commission that was just, it was about me, number one and then it was also about trying to change the way people either address sexual abuse or even try and do things or put things into process to help schools or so forth and so on. Um, and to give other people a voice, really, because other people are oh, very scared to talk about it and stuff. And I know after I've had a couple of emails and stuff after the to feed me to it, they feel a little bit more confident that they can through
1: the process too. And that's it for this week. A big thank you to Dr Cathy Kieselman and Emma. And if you'd like to know more about their stories and their fight for change here in Australia, you can contact them at askar.org.au. As always, you can contact us at producers at worthypodcast.com or check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. I'm Alexia Bolden. Tune in next week.